Yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to share a little bit about my friend Connor with you guys this morning. Uh, I know two things that Connor loves. He loves Marvel superheroes and he loves asking questions. And he asked me a lot of questions in our youth group the past couple of uh, past month or so. And the last question he asked me, see Connor has autism and he asked me, did God make me this way? And I looked at him and I said, Connor, you have, you have a superpower that I will never get to have the perspective of God that you have. You have a special power. Just the same way that I have a perspective of God that you don't have right now. And that's why it's so important for us to talk with each other and, and to share our perspectives with each other on what we believe with God. And then Connor, right after that, asked, he said, I got to know more. I want to know more. Can I be baptized? And it was a, probably the happiest moment this, this past month. It was amazing. So we went to the beach. My microphone, super windy out there. It's at the beach. It was cold, but we were so excited. And uh, so we just talked about that. And then we baptized him right there at the beach. And it was amazing. I know Connor's got a whole lot more questions that he wants to ask, and I, I want to be there for all of them. So, he's a wonderful kid. Wow, absolutely amazing. Okay, whoever put that before my time coming up, we're going to have to talk about the sequence of programming here at Crosstown. Cause that, but, you know, I, I, what it just says to me, it says to me a couple things, is how God calls every human being where they are. You know, the church used to try to get you to become something so that you could become a part of this. And it's like, that's not how it works. We're going to hear a verse later on. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were broken, while we were whatever we were, whatever we are, and we're all a lot of different things. It's like, no, grace meets us right there at that point in our lives. Uh, it also makes me realize we have one heck of a youth pastor here at Crosstown Church. Yeah. Yeah. So that... I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to get rich on the back of youth here. You know, we're not going to build some momentous, I mean, giant ministry here. But every single youth 
matters here at Crosstown. And uh, that was just an expression. Not only does, it ma- does Connor matter to us, but uh, matters to God. So, um, wow, what a great place to be today. Um, we're starting a new series called Fault Lines, and, and this is a Holy Spirit-prompted series. Sometimes I have to preach things be- whether I want to or not. It's, it's kind of called catechism. It's like you have a form of things that you preach, a liturgical calendar. If you're from a high church, you, you got to talk about this at least once every three years. And, but then there are times, and those are good things. You mean you eat, you eat your breakfast whether you want to eat it or not because it's what you're supposed to do. But then there are times when the Holy Spirit serves up something that's exactly for your church, for this moment, and for our culture. And this series is exactly that. So much so that I actually saw, though this series is written originally here, I see this series popping up in other places and also books by the same name popping up all over the place because it's an issue uh, in America today called Fault Lines. It's a timely dedication to the restoration of relationships. I don't think ever before in my life have I seen so many meaningful relationships fractured into resentment and to uh, estrangement. A statistic was taken of families, just family relationships, that 27% of families represented in this auditorium today have some form of fracture in the relationship, whether it's mother and daughter, son and father, whether it's cousin, husband and wife, that 27% of American families are fractured in some relationship. And that's just in the family relationships. That's not not talking about things beyond that. And regardless of the darkness of the hour for relationships, what we're going to find over the next couple weeks together is the message of God to bring healing and restoration into those relationships. The history of scriptures is full of fault lines and fractured relationships. You know, it's like, well, when did it happen? When, when did it all go bad? Well, I would say it this way. The moment mankind attempts to live in community, whether with God or with one another, fault lines appear. All you gotta do is put a man and a woman together and just give it about there. You give it just enough time and you've got yourself a fault line. You're beginning to put people of diverse opinions together, political persuasions together. You even put people with God together, as we see in the book of Genesis. And it doesn't take long before a fault line begins to appear. And the reason why I tell you that is because don't beat yourself up if you have fault lines in your relationships. It's like, it was going to, you know, it's like, well, if I had married somebody else, I wouldn't have this fault line. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, it it's probably would have happened. And, well, if I lived in a different country, it wouldn't happen. Well, I think in another country it would have happened. And so, so in a different family, just, just remember that fault lines happen anytime people want to strive to live in community with each other. Now, I'm going to say something that you'll have to let me finish, but this is the the saying that will end my career and that will get tweeted out. But before you tweet it out, let me finish this one. And my point is this. The Bible is not a book of how it should be done. Okay? The Bible is not a book on how it should be done. 
The Bible's loaded with stories like Cain and Abel. Remember a brother killing another brother because he's jealous of, of some advantage that the brother has? How about Jacob and Esau, patriarchs of the, the, the family of Israel, fighting each other, tricking each other to get a blessing from God, no less, to get the blessing from their father, competitions, sibling rivalry. I mean, we see a lot of that producing estrangement, but it's, it's in the Bible. Um, how about Joseph and his brothers? I mean, we heard the story about that, that because his father specifically shows a little bit of favoritism and gives him this beautiful coat of many colors, and for some reason, not because of his relationship with his like, second wife, you know, can you see how this is going? I mean, this is like cultural America. Relationship with his second wife that he likes better than his first wife. He likes the son from that relationship better and all the other brothers hate him. It's like, yeah, that could happen in America. And it happened in the Bible. How about another story? This one's classic. David and his son Absalom. David has, is such a lousy father. He's a man after God's own heart, but he really stinks in parenting. I mean, just terrible. And, and so David allows a, a, a molestation to occur, a sexual crime to occur in his family to one of his daughters. But he doesn't stand up for his daughter and he doesn't take action. And as a result of it, the brother of that daughter goes after David, goes after the dad. Though he didn't commit the crime, the fact that he didn't stand up for his daughter, that's... I mean, you see how estrangement happens? I might be already in your family. I may already have given an illustration out of the Bible on, on you know, this, this idea of estrangement. Then there's the possibility of estrangement between Paul and Barnabas. All we know, it's one of the only relational fragments that we see in the, the book of Acts that they were doing ministry together and they were walking together and all of a sudden they got in an argument about their cousin, you know, uh, Mark, John Mark, and John Mark was just, you know, wasn't very organized, didn't clean his room, you know, he was a little less structured than everybody else on the, on the gospel bandwagon, and so Paul had no time for him, but also, but Barnabas did have time for him, so the two of them got so angry at each other that they fractured. Now, I love it. A lot of people will try to turn this into a Holy Ghost moment. Well, that's God's way of just spreading the kingdom further. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know, really? Maybe that's how it turned out. But um, I don't think God orchestrated the fracture within the family. Uh, so again, we see that fractures happen when people are trying to live in community and with good people trying to live in community. So let me read, my phrase was this, the Bible is not the book of how it should be done, okay? The Bible is a testament of how it has been done and how it can be undone, okay? That's what the Bible is. It's a testament of how it's been done, how marriages have gone, how families have gone, how eth uh, cultural ethnic conflicts have gone, how it's been done, but how all that mess can be undone. That's the beautiful story that we get out of the gospels and out of the scriptures. We'll be looking at our friendships, not just our families. We'll be looking at some friendships that have, that have been lost, church relationships that have been lost. I mean, because of some of the political and racial and, and economic 
issues that have happened in America, the push of COVID and all those things that some of us are now two years later without some dear friends. I remember there, somebody in my family posted something on Facebook when the elections were coming up. And this person said, if you are voting for Donald Trump, you are no longer a member of my family and I will no longer speak to you. And uh, I was like, wow, okay. So that's it, that's where we draw the line. That's where the fault line happens, I guess, politically. At that point we can, but that was happening all over the internet. That was as soon as somebody expressed an opinion that you know what, normally we could handle. You know, I come from a family where there's eight, uh, there's uh, seven boys. I got to count them in my head occasionally. And we're always punching each other. They were always giving each other wedgies. And we were always, you know, I was always tied up and left in a box someplace. I mean, it was was always happening. But you know what? As soon as you busted out of the box, you, you were still brothers, you know? We, we knew how to do conflict, but, but, it, it, uh, but today that's not the issue. Uh, today it, we're, we're uptight. There's, we're, we're more fragile than we've ever been as a society. That as soon as somebody says something about us or disagrees with us, we, we shut them down. It's happened in church relationships. I see people that will leave the church over doctrinal issues without even having conversation over doctrinal issues. You know, it's like, what? Well, I don't believe what Crosstown's doing is right. And Oh, did you talk to the pastor or one of the theologians on staff about this? We do have theologians on staff. Did you talk to, talk to one of them about why we arrived there or how to get that? No, I just don't, I'm just not going to go to a church that does it that way. It's like, oh, really? Is, is, that, is that how we do it in the church? Are we no better than the world that we just do things that way? Um, I think the phenomenon of geological fault lines, and let me just say this. If you've been at Crosstown for the amount of time that I've been at Crosstown, you know that I've used every possible field of science, art, uh, uh, cinematography, everywhere. I have pulled an illustration out of everything. And after pulling something out of everything, I've thought, oh man, I, I should have became one of those when I, when I was in college, if I could have gotten through it. You know, I should have become one of those because the topics have always been so interesting. Well, this time I went into geology. And I'll tell you what, after studying geology, that is the most boring experience that I ever had. I'm like, I am so glad. So all you geologists out there, you must have a resonant pizzazz about you because I don't know if you're getting it out of the... uh, uh, out of the dirt, but, but, but it was some interesting thing there. It's like, wow, Paul, you really, you really know how to alienate people, don't you? But let me just say, there was some interesting thing about fault lines, and it was a perfect illustration. Fault lines are the fracture points where two masses of stone begin to move, okay? So that's, that's what happens. You got these, these different bodies or masses of rock and, and uh, sediment that begin to move, and there's four different kinds of fault lines. Forces moving against each other along this, what they call a fault plane, okay? Now, whether it's, whether it's an up or down movement or a sideways movement, it really doesn't matter, but pressure begins to move the surfaces oppositionally. And one thing is known for certain that 
anyone trying to live on a fault line lives in a place of tension and uncertainty. So when we talk about relational fault lines, we are talking um, beyond the necessary conflicts that happen in, in relationships. Because every relationship has conflict. I always love that young couple that says, we've never had a fight before. And I'm like, well, you don't have a relationship yet. You know, it's like you don't have, the, you, you don't know if you have perseverance. You don't know if you have truth. You don't know if you have stick to You don't know if you've got compassion and forgiveness until you get into a good, gnarly argument over something. You know, I'm talking something raw, something fresh. You know what I mean? And so one thing, uh, one thing I, that can come out of a conflict when it's executed properly is that it can develop character in the relationship. It can develop honesty in the relationship and it also produces resolve in the relationship. You begin to find out what you really believe and the principles of warfare that you'll pull on, what you will or will not say. So, we're talking beyond the normal conflicts that happen. We're talking about when the ground begins to move and uncertainty begins to ensue. We are talking about the fault line of estrangement. Now, I know estrangement isn't a word that we use a lot, and I'm glad we don't, uh, because I, I'm glad it's kind of gotten saved for this moment. Uh, we may not use it at all, uh, but we need to know it, because it's happening all around us. This is the fault line that is happening. Let me give you the definition. Having lost former closeness and affection, in a state of alienation from a previous close or familiar or familial relationship. Have I touched any place in your life yet? I love the, the, the barest description and definition of estrangement. To become as a stranger again. Wow. Just let that sit in for a second. To become as a stranger again. Can you imagine that happening in a marriage? Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you know exactly what it was like that you discovered this stranger and you learned everything about this stranger and fell in love with the stranger and committed to the stranger and then married the stranger and then all of a sudden you find yourself back to being a stranger again. But maybe it's not just a marriage. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a brother or a sister. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it's somebody at church that you were close with but yet now you've become as a stranger because of some conflict that you had. Estrangement involves cutting off regular contact between family members or friends. It's, there's a sense of intentionality about it. Estrangement always involves experiencing the cutoff as negative, resulting from conflict, disagreement, or difficulty, or disturbing interactions, or our difference in political views or religious views. It may be emotional estrangement in which some kind of contact continues 
but in an atmosphere of distance and detachment. I think that's the one we do a lot. It may mean that all direct contact has been disconnected, even though marginal interaction continues. They're on the same email, or they like the same photo on Facebook, or they're friends in somebody else's friends list. They're not totally gone out of your life, but any intentional direct contact with them has been shut down. I think each generation has had some cinematic estrangement. I wanted to kind of like, so you could feel what estrangement is like. I, I, so for baby boomers, the Godfather movies, everyone outside of the Corleone family was estrangement. And anybody know what's going on here? Frito? That's, he's like, uh, he betrayed his brother. And so Michael has his brother killed because of betrayal to the family. Estrangement. And if you, if you were my age, you saw these movies and, and you saw what it was like, this whole godfather mentality. There were those that were in and then those who were marked by the family. We do this really well. I mean, Jacob and Esau did this really well. The godfather is not an Italian thing. I would dare say it's a Jewish thing. I mean, there is so much Godfather stuff going on in the Bible. That's why I'm telling you, it's not an example of how it should be done. It's an example of how it's been done and how it needs to be undone through the grace that we experience in Christ. But each generation has it. Gen Xers, I got one for you. Anakin and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Didn't this break our heart? Anakin, you're breaking. No, that was the girl that said that. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. You know, and, but remember when Anakin went through puberty, he began to go at war with everybody. I mean, and, and we saw that. I mean, it didn't even matter who it was. He was always whining to Obi-Wan. I am a Jedi. I am a Jedi. And all of a sudden, I am Darth Vader. You know, he becomes Darth Vader because of, why does he become Darth Vader? because an unresolved estrangement. That was the power of the force. It wasn't the dark side, it was unresolved conflict. Millennials, I got one for you. Ron and Harry. Yeah, Ron and Harry in Goblet of Fire. If you remember that, I mean, there was real tension between these two guys. And it was like, there was this real jealousy, Esau and Jacob moment, and it just was a gnarly conflict. Gen Zers and everyone else, well, there's Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. Is anybody else enjoying this? Or, or does anybody else know who these people are? Okay, if not, you need to get a TV. You're not too good for a TV. Tony Stark and Steve Rogers had differences over what? They had differences over Bucky, okay, who was estranged from the Avengers. It's like, folks, it's, it's all around us. It's in the movies we're watching. It's, it's in the lives that we're living. And if you didn't get that one, if you're, if you're so old and gnarly that you just didn't get any of that, let's give you the classic. Godzilla versus King Kong. All right, do we got it? Do we got it and understand the difference there? But here's the thing. Society is satisfied with the results of estrangement. Canceled relationships. And now I just want to just stop you if you're going someplace in your mind. 
If I use the word canceled and you think of left-wing liberals, you are, you are missing the picture. We all cancel, all right? We all cancel people we don't agree with. And society is satisfied with the results. They don't care. We don't care. It's like, well, he used to be your best friend. Yeah, but you know what? He's, he was a Biden supporter, or he voted for Trump. You know, it's like, yeah, but does that mean you just give up on a person because of their per political persuasion or because of their color of the skin or, I mean, because they, they march with Black Lives Matter or, you know, um, because their picture got taken somewhere near the Capitol on, on, on that day? I mean, is that when we just decide, oh yeah, that's the line crossed too far, you're, you're no longer in my life. And this is, our society is satisfied with that. We use words, and this is gonna be grown up, okay? I, and I'm gonna use words that you normally wouldn't use, you normally wouldn't use, but I'm gonna use them because I know you use them but you just control who hears you using them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I think we all do. Here's some words that I think lead to estrangement. If you're using some of these words or phrases, you need to know your relationship's in estrangement because you DNA organized it to go there. Because if you use these kinds of phrases or words or this terminology, you are just, you're laying the bricks to, to have a relationship be over for a really long time. If you ever use the phrase, those people, those people, okay? In small little groups, we use that phrase, don't we? Those people, you know those people. It's like, oh really, those people. Could you put a fault line and a fault plane any harder between two people groups than to refer to people as those people? How about calling somebody a homophobe? Okay? I've been called a homophobe a whole bunch just because I believe in a biblical principle, but I'm not, I'm not scared of homosexuals. I don't hate homosexuals. I mean... I don't think they're wrecking society any more than I'm wrecking society with my covetousness, my, my lust, my anger, or, you know. But yet, once you get called something like that, okay, well, let's put it on the other side. Have you called anybody a pervert lately? You say, well, I'm a Christian, and it's, they're perverts. It's like, really? Uh, okay. I, that's what we're supposed to be calling people? If you call somebody a pervert, I don't care how smart and biblically astute you are, you are saying there is a fault line between us that will never get crossed. So you're just giving up on a whole people group. How about in a marriage, have you ever used this phrase, you never? You never. That's a fault line. When you say you never, you're saying that your spouse never, ever, I mean, and what you're creating is an impossible wall, a fall plane that, well, he's, why should I, I can hear most guys, why try? You keep telling me I'll never do it, why try? If you use the phrase, you're hopeless. I mean, we say it all the time. How about, acting with intolerance. See, intolerance, 
The lack of allowing other people to be different than you is a, is a real fault line. How about calling somebody a racist? You know, I, I, you know, I would say I am racially ignorant, but I would not say that I'm an, a racist. Um, I am racially ignorant about Asian life and culture, about Mexican life and culture, black life and culture. I'm, I may be, but that doesn't make me a racist because I'm ignorant about something. But yet when we throw out phrases like this at each other, you know, it's, it's like we create a fault line. How about yelling out baby killer? Well, we don't believe in abortion. Well, okay, you're right, we don't. But did that give us permission to stand on the side of a street holding up signs, baby killer? I mean, do you really think we're going to solve the problem that way? How many signs and wonders did Jesus carry around that said baby killer on it? Have you ever called anybody a fag before? My generation, we did it all the time. I mean, all you have to do is watch The Office. I mean, I, mean, my, I was Michael Scott. But we called people fags all the time. It's like, I wonder how many of those people we won to Christ. I wonder how many people looked at me and said, you know what, you're right. You're right. You know, I can't even use the N-word. So apparently it's worse than the fag word. Okay, but the N-word. Okay, if you're using the N-word, you might as well just tell the black culture of America that you're not interested in having a relationship with any of them. Okay? You can say, well, I, I got black friends over here, but you know there's a difference between a black... Uh, this is... I, uh, Calvin, you should be amening me to death over here. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I appreciate a little support over there. But it's like, uh, white people are always so funny. I got black friends, but you know there's black people and then there's... Yeah. Okay? It's like, no, no, that's, that's a fault line right there. Um, but let's take it a little bit, take a deep breath. It's like... Oh, he's, he's, he talks about stuff he can't talk about, but how about, have you called anybody an idiot lately? That's a fault line. You call me an idiot and we're donezo. I mean, seriously, we're donezo. Um, how about this? I'm donezo. I'm done. Have you ever said to somebody, I'm done? Have you ever said to somebody, you're dead to me? Here's the thing. We all throw the stones of our truth only to have them heap into the wall of our relational captivity. We all throw the stones of our truth only to have them heap up into the wall of our relational captivity. It's like we weren't maybe intending to build a wall, but we kept throwing our opinion, throwing our opinion, throwing our opinion, and throwing an opinion. And all of a sudden, you look over there, it's like, well, I can't see them anymore. It's not because you insulted them so many times. I have a dear, dear brother and uh, friend in, in Christ. And me and him battle out on politics all the time. You know, just, just all the time. But he led off on something about... Uh, about 
uh, my political persuasion or part of my political persuasion about when are these effing blah, 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 stupid blah, 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 GD, blah, 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 ever going to figure it out? And so my first response was, you know, um, beyond the substance and content, you really need to learn the art of rhetoric and persuasion. Usually it is best not to insult the person that you're trying to change the mind of. And I meant it in pure love, and he took it in pure love, and, and we, we totally understood. But the problem is that sometimes we let our negative rhetoric get ahead of our relationship. You know, we let our words, our opinions, and all that stuff get out there. We heap people into groups, and we call them those people, those Republicans, those uh, Trump supporters, those uh, leftists, those progressives, whatever group that we want to put people in. But we need to realize that when we throw around these wholesale phrases around one another, that you just threw a rock that will become the substrate of a relational failure. I was amazed, and Laurel is, is our, one of our lead guitarists here, how I thought it was impactful that, I mean, that we both held hands and raised hands up because she's a Democrat and I tend to vote Republican. And um, we both held hands here and we all made a declaration that Jesus Christ is first and we did all that. I thought it was a pretty easy breezy thing to do. I didn't realize it rocked people because the walls have become so built up. So whenever I make a wholesale statement about those Democrats, it's like I'm leaving a rock right at her feet that another rock will get put on and top on her feet and another rock will get, and all of a sudden it's like, where did Laurel go? It's like, well, I'd never said I wanted to get rid of Laurel, but you know what? You threw enough of your own truths at her that the, the wall was built. And so we need to begin to look, and we're going to learn about this stuff. This is not an easy subject. We're going to learn about how do we do it, how are we a part of it, how can we resolve it, how to deal with the grief of being estranged. Can you, I mean, some of you are walking through being estranged from a child who has children, and you'll never see your grandchildren. And I know that's just got to break your, and how do you live with that? We're going to learn together. See, this is why Jesus is really challenging about how we use words and how we throw them around. Matthew 5, 21. He says to a crowd of religious people, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, or you idiot, will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. See, and, and I'm, now I'm just talking to church. We're so easy about, okay, certain levels of offenses that... that Okay, we don't, we're anti-abortions and we don't support gay marriage and all this other stuff. But otherwise, we're calling people idiots and fools and, and jerks and, and perverts. And, and it's like, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You understand that abortion may be, that, that abortion is the killing of a young born child, unborn child. But yet, I need to let you know that every time you give up on somebody, every time you hurl insults at somebody, every time you call somebody an idiot, that you're risking the hell of fire. We'll look at that phrase, hell of fire, in a second, because I, I thought it was really interesting that it was phrased that way. I would have thought it would have been fire of hell, but it's the hell of fire. See, the world is happy to just shout names and words and live with the estrangement, but that's, that's not good enough for God, and it's not good enough um, for his people. That through the death and the life and death of Christ, God expresses divine action against estrangement. When scripture tells us that the veil was torn in two when Jesus dies, it's torn from top to bottom. What we see is the destruction of the fault plane. If you were to turn it this way, the fault plane would be like a veil that the two objects are sliding on. What we are told is that when Jesus dies, that the veil is torn from the top to the bottom. See, he destroys the fault plane, the, the way that these two objects so easily move oppositionally to each other. But I want you to hear how it was done. Romans 5, 6 says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us, the love that he wants in us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do you think God's opinion on estrangement is? Who do you think God thinks should initiate restoration? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's like the mark of the Christian church is to break through the fault lines. And I know we've all kind of wrestled with the right and wrong and, and, and how much should I agree with and all that stuff. I get it. How much should I affirm? Can I dis disagree but yet you know, kind of be tolerant, but without affirming. And it's like, and so it, it is something, it's a challenge that's placed upon the church, but by the example of God himself, that while we were yet aliens, while we were not interested, while we were hostile towards God, God said, yeah, we're gonna do something about this estrangement. Um, well, what about Jesus calling people stuff? I asked this of the pastor that mentored me, Mike Lowry. I, I'm like, because I got really, as a young pastor, I got really high and mighty and it's like, you know, want to call people perverts and, and, you know, whatever, and just yelling out. And it's like, um, it's like, yeah, because I see now with my righteous eyes, this is evil. And, and Jesus did it. He called people broods of vipers. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. Man, he could craft an insult. I mean, if you called me a whitewashed sepulcher, I'll be, I'll be there like, yeah, I'm not sure what he said. I didn't like it, but it's like something, you know? And so I, I, it's like, but he, he called, and I said, well, what about that? Aren't we, aren't we supposed to do what Jesus did? And he's pointed out, he said, yeah, but remember, right after he called them brood of vipers, he allowed that brood of vipers to nail his hands to a cross and be crucified. 
And he said to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So let me just say this. If you want to call somebody fag, pervert, racist, homophobe, leftist, whatever you want to call them, idiot, you have permission from heaven to do so if you're willing to die for them. If you're not willing to die for them, then shut up. I mean, just, it's just simple. It's just simple. It's like, wow. So, you know what? I'd rather shut up than die. <laughs> but, but that's, Jesus was willing to die for the people that insulted him. That's the difference that the church is supposed to be making in America today. We're not supposed to be one-upping. We're not supposed to be polarizing them and us, those people, and then the holy bride of Jesus, you know? No, we're supposed to be the initiators of reconciliation. God is not satisfied for us to remain in estrangement either, and that includes your marriage. He's not satisfed with that. Matthew 5, 23, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you or your wife or your son, you know. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And I know you want to throw in there. It's like, well, he's got to meet me halfway. Uh, you know, the cross was on the earth if I last checked. It wasn't suspended someplace in the atmosphere, halfway between here and heaven, was it? And we kind of like fly our way up halfway. But, but Jesus says, you who are spiritual, you American church, you crosstown, you husband and wife, whites and blacks, if your brother has ought against you, do me a favor, could you leave your gift at the church? I love that from a pastor's standpoint, that's good news. They left the gift, okay? But leave your gift. <laughs> And first go be reconciled because that's the most spiritual thing you can do. That's, that's better than everything else that we do on a Sunday morning is the fact that we be reconciled to one another. And not only reconciled, but that we initiate the reconciliation. Come to, your, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Least your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the God and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That's what estrangement feels like. Estrangement is the hell of fire. It's the hell of fire. It's a bad marriage where two people won't budge. That's the hell of fire. It's a father and a son that no longer talk. It's people in church that avoid each other and sit on the right side or the left side so that they don't have to see each other. It's our society. We are in, right now, in our, in our society, we are in the hell of fire. It's because we are estranged from each other. Estrangement is the prison of penniless relationships. Jesus says, stop playing all spiritual while you're satisfied with being estranged from your brother. He's like, come on. 
Why are you pointing out what's wrong with these people and those people and, and getting all spiritual on me? He's like, how about put down that stuff and go be reconciled? I shouldn't have to do it first. And Jesus looks to us from heaven and says, and I shouldn't have had to do it first either. <laughs> now, he doesn't talk like that, but, but could you see? It's like when we were told to become Christ-like, it was also not only Christ-like in nature, but Christ-like in initiative. I, this message sucks as far as I'm concerned. The problem is, is it's right. I don't want to call anybody. I would rather say, you're dead to me. Believe me, I'm that guy. And some of you have had that experience with me, and I hopefully have apologized to you. But haven't we had enough Jacob and Esau's? Haven't we had enough Cain and Abel's? Haven't we had enough David and Absalom's? Haven't we had enough uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin's? Haven't we had enough of that in the world? It's time for us to become Christ-like. So as we close out with this moment of coming to the, the table of Christ, this is a time where we take the bread and the cup and we are reminded that while we were yet sinners, he was broken and poured out for us. We are coming to the table of initiative. Not just the table of forgiveness, but to the place of initiative. The fact that God did this first, gave his body and blood first, is an example of initiative that our culture needs us to emulate. So today and, and over the week, would you be willing to consider that you may be part of the problem? You may be, and can I talk to people who are white? Stop excusing yourself from being a part of the solution just because you didn't have a slave 150 years ago. I didn't enslave anybody. Come on, grow up. Um, can I talk to maybe black people? Not all white people are racist. Okay, we may be a little uninformed on some stuff, but that doesn't mean we, we all hate people who are different than us. But we need to admit, all of us, that we're going to have to be part of the solution. No matter where we stand, we're going to have to be a part of the solution. Two, I pray that we will realize that in the middle of it, and that maybe you're traumatized right now by the estrangement of your marriage, your children, a sibling, a parent, that ask for the Holy Spirit to comfort your soul. Because it's a hard place to be, to be estranged from somebody who doesn't want to ever hear from you again. And I know that one out of four of you have heard that from somebody in your family. Three, today as we come to the table of Christ that we would accept that we will be part of the healing of estrangement. Even if we're not the direct cause of the, whatever I can do to help you through your estrangement. I can help my wife through her estrangement. 
you know, that will be a part of the solution, help America through its estrangement. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to, uh, it's going to be a real challenge to us. I'm not looking forward to it. But what I am looking forward to is the healing on the other side of it. Moving a wall is difficult. It is hard. And it may take brick by brick, stone by stone. But it's a job worth doing. How do I know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to move all the bricks between him and us out of the way. Let's remember that in this moment of communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for challenging us. God, thank you so much. And I love, Lord God, that you're giving us hope that it can be done. It doesn't have to be burnt down. We don't have to be polarized. But God, if we will, if we will allow the same love that saved us to move and empower us, God, it can all be changed. It can all become better than it was. So Father, today we come to the, to the table of Christ, to the bread and the cup. And for us, maybe it's just we need to be shown it's possible. What you've given up on, the love of God has not given up on. The Bible tells us how it's been done and even better yet how it all can be undone through grace and mercy.